Shut your door, Matthew chapter 6. We're talking about prayer and fasting. And if you are just now joining us for this talk, many of us at the church as we're going through these messages are taking 21 days uh, to give our hearts over to fasting, to give our hearts over to prayer by removing some food from our diet, by removing some normal things from our, our daily lives. We're choosing to allow consumption of carbs and consumption of calories to be placed to be replaced by uh, something better, something more powerful that God can give us, and that is heavenly bread that we need to eat. This is what Jesus meant when he said, man was not meant to live only by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And I want to encourage you today in your prayer life. I want to encourage you today in, in seeing prayer differently. So many times we walk in such a heavy condemnation, like I should pray more and I need to pray more. But I want to inspire you. I want to, I want to, my goal would be for you to be liberated, to walk in the power of what prayer truly is. Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, we're going to pick it up in verse 5. He said, and when you pray, you shall be not like, you should not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret, will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So Jesus here is teaching his followers, teaching his, his children how to pray. And it's worth pointing out that he assumes there's going to be prayer in the lives of anybody who follows him. He doesn't say, if you pray. He says, now, when you pray, because it's assumed that if you want to follow God, if you want to follow Jesus, that, that prayer will be a part of your lives. And I'm really excited to tell you that the prayer is so deeply personal, and there's not just one way to pray, not just one style of prayer. As you look at the men and women of Scripture, you see so many different things from the position of, of their bodies while they prayed, some kneeling, some standing, some uh, in, in different places, some sitting. Uh, you see Jesus even mixing it up as he prays. So there's so many different ways to pray, and prayer is so personal for you. And I, what I would encourage you is to discover and find now, your prayer style, what works for you when it comes to your prayer life. But what's interesting about what Jesus has to say is that primarily what he does as he teaches them how to pray is begin in the negative, teaching them how, how not to pray. It's, it's almost like, um, you know, one, one person said, you know, if your dad was going to teach you how to use a skill saw, he will begin with, here's the number one thing you never do, right? Here's the, here's the thing to don't, not, not to do because that's the thing that can most damage you. And it's kind of like that. Jesus here says, points to the, the most dangerous part of prayer, 
the peril of prayer, which, of course, is using the spiritual gift God's given to us in a prideful way, in a way that would harm yourself. And that's why he points to the religious leaders of his day who were like the, the idiot sticking his hand in a, in a buzzsaw, you know, not paying attention to, to the number one thing his dad said to do. He's, he's, he's telling us that the most dangerous thing we could do in prayer would be to use prayer to pridefully lift up ourselves when it is meant to be a humbling thing that we're given access to God's presence, a humbling thing that we're, we're given access to the spiritual power. And so what he does is he says, don't make it like cold stone. That's what he says. That's what I wrote down in my notes. You know how when you go to cold stone, have you ever given a tip at cold stone? They start singing out like, here's, thank, what do we holler? Thanks for the dollar, right? First time I went to cold stone, I gave a tip. Because you should tip, by the way, people, everybody, everywhere you go. You should, you should have that generosity about your life. Giving a tip, everyone started singing. And first of all, I did not like it. I did not like the attention. Like I was like, I, the first, and, and then second of all, I noticed they were, they were very much going through the motions of the song. It did not seem like an enthusiastic outpouring of a genuine desire. It was a corporate policy that translated to a pathetic performance. And, and these people were not bought in. And so, hey, what do we holler? Thanks for the dollar. It's like, I was like, I wish I could take back my tip, right? This is horrible. Uh, but, but now when I go there, I have to give a tip just because I really want to watch them do it a little bit. But Jesus is saying, don't Pray like that. Don't pray to be seen by people. Don't pray for the song that you're going to get. Don't do it to be seen by men. He says that our prayers should not be offered up to make ourselves uh, appear spiritual before people. Some, some workplaces have what's called an open door policy. And that is to say anybody can go in any room at any time, interrupt any meeting, just open door policy, come on in. He said that will kill your spiritual life. If you have an open door policy when it comes to your prayer, you're praying with your open doors to be seen before people. He's saying don't pray like that. What does he say? He says shut your door, which is something my wife is always saying in our house because I'm the one who always leaves the back door open. And I tend to go in and out of the, the house to the backyard a lot. I'll talk to you about that in a moment. And I always know when my wife's awake because I'll just hear the door shut, right? Like I went outside, left the door a little bit open. Because the problem is I'll like have three books and a, a coffee and a journal. So like I just need the door to be able to be, get it open. And then I kind of like pull it shut as much as I can. But I, when it's shut all the way, I end up breaking mugs. Happened this week, by the way. And dropping stuff. And so <laughs> she's always shutting the door. Now even Lennox does it. Like he's like, oh, shut the door. He's like, Dad, you're letting the cold in, right? He's very temperamental when it comes to temperature and climate. Uh, but when it comes to our, our, our prayer time, Jesus said that you ought to shut your door. Go into your, don't be praying on the street corner. Don't be you know, starting an Instagram live just so everybody can see how, how prolific of a prayer warrior you really are. He said there should be a privacy to it, that it is prayers in private that give you power in public. Shut your door. And that word uh, in a room is what he uses. Shut the door to your room. Go to your room, he says, when you want to pray, and shut the door. The word room speaks of a chamber at the inside of a building. So it's not the front room. It's not the living room. He says go to the inner room. It is a place of privacy, a place of retirement. It's a, it's a place where, where no one can see. It's a secret place. So some people have referred to it as a closet for prayer. And I've even seen you know, people who have, this is a, a little closet I've, I've built into my house, or a little closet I've built in for my life. It's just a place to go and pray in private. And I think that's an important enough question for us just to ask. Where do you meet with God? Do you have 
a place? Do you have real estate in your home? It doesn't have to be a closet. It doesn't have to be. It could be any space. It could be any, any place that you said, this is just where I meet with God. I think there's something powerful about that. For me, it is the backyard. And I've got a fire pit back there. And I love nothing more than to light the fire pit and to sit there with the flames and to watch darkness give way to dawn. I love the birds that are going by. I love something about just being in nature, even with it, when it's cold, especially when it's cold. The fire is more powerful to me. And to have my journal and to have books I'm reading and to have my Bible in there to seek God and meet with God. And that chair, that place is where I meet with God. That's where I get to be alone with him and, and commune with him. To me, that's the place where, even though I realize I told you the ironies, I did not shut my door, where I get to shut the door and, and meet with God. So whether it's a desk for you or a, a walking path you like to walk on or uh, a comfortable part of the couch. I would encourage you to, to really decide, this is where I'm going to meet with God. And it can be different in different seasons. It could be different at different times. It could be uh, your, your favorite coffee shop, assuming restrictions allow you to be in your favorite coffee shop, but a place where you put your AirPods and a place where you love to spend time with Jesus. This place of private is what will set you up to be rewarded by God openly. And I've, I've written down three different aspects of this reward, because Jesus said, if you do this, uh, you will see God reward you openly. If you meet with him in private, you will watch him reward you openly. And I wrote down three different rewards, the first being validation, three aspects of the reward we can expect to walk in as we meet with God, validation. I think this is one of the most important things. The dictionary defines the word validation as recognition or affirmation that you have or are worthwhile, that you have value or that you are worthwhile. Validation. If you don't get this from God, you will be always looking for it from other people. If you don't understand, if you don't, if, like the Bible says, if you don't understand your value, that you, are, that you are made by God, that you are loved by him, that you walk out into the world starting from that place of love, starting from that place of chosen, starting from that place of, of called, starting from that place of equipped, what you will do on any given day is be looking for it from people, be looking for it from possessions, be looking for it from things that you can accumulate, from accomplishments that you can perform. But when you spend time with Jesus, one of the great things about that time is you get to hear what God the Father spoke over his son. This is my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. And to anchor your day and to anchor your year in time spent in the secret place, to shut your door. Why? So you can hear your father speak from heaven I'm pleased with you. I love you. I hung the stars in the sky, but I delight in you. The Bible says that God will rejoice over us with song and delight in us through dancing. There's this beautiful dance, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's what the Trinity really is. It's this, the, the dance of God, the relationship he's in even with himself. And we get to enter into that. We get to engage in that love. We get to engage in that dance. And one of the, one of the, one of the most wonderful things about spending time alone with God in prayer and reading in scripture is just because you get to walk away from it going, I matter. 
I count. I'm in the story. God loves me. He wants to use me. He's whispering things to me. I have validation. So now I'm not showing up at work going, notice me, notice me. Am I enough? Am I seen? Do I matter? I'm walking into church going, how can I be used by the king of kings who loves me to bless you? How can I be used uh, with all the resources I have now that no longer are there to define me? Because Twitter followers and the car you drive, and the money you have or don't have in your bank account, it will be either a master that you hope validates you or a tool you use to honor the master in how you serve in this world. And it's, it, all, all the difference in the world is contained in whether or not your validation comes from God. And so the reward of seeking him in your uh, prayer closet, the reward of shutting the door to the world so you can spend time with God is that when you're changed by his love, gripped by his love, and you sense that oil of anointing that he wants to pour over you individually as he commissions you to do what he's called you to do, you now aren't looking for any of the things you do for God to define you. They're just a part of the mission that he has for you. Think about this. The only person in the entire universe whose opinion actually counts is delighted with you. And when you spend time with God in secret, you get to walk out into the world armed with that revelation. The only one in the universe whose opinion actually matters is delighted in you. You now have validation. Talk about being comfortable in your own skin. Talk about, because we've all been around needy people, and we've all realized, hopefully, we've been self-aware enough to, to realize in moments we've been those needy people. We're hoping to be noticed, and we're, we're just, and so many of the things that we do that we're sh- ashamed of stem from us looking to people and things to give us our value that do not have value to give us. And if you walk into this world aware of the fact that the one in the universe whose opinion actually matters is delighted in you, you will be a joy to be around because there's not going to be any striving. There's not going to be any, you know, schmarmy networking, hoping to, to get your, yourself this or get yourself that. There's going to be just a calm, settled confidence that God's in charge. He, he loves me. I'm his favor. Like, I, do, we all get to sense that and feel that. And then we get to walk around in the world hoping to, to give value to people instead of hoping they'll give it to us. The second thing that you'll get, the second reward, is that you get to walk in the power of formation. Not just validation, but formation. And this is, as you spend time with God, the realization that he is the potter and we are the clay. And he is then forming us. And it's a real wonderful thing to know what the the book of Philippians says, that faithful is he who began a good work in us to complete that that which he started. Now, I don't know about you, but every time I start a puzzle, I have great intentions of finishing it. But sometimes reality sets in. Sometimes we realize we picked a bad puzzle. Have you ever picked a bad puzzle? I was just listening to this podcast and Hugh Jackman, the Wolverine. It's like we, he was talking about how much he loves puzzles. It's like his favorite thing to do when he finishes a movie or a show. Just go. I was not expecting that. And he was talking about he loves to make his own puzzles. He takes a photograph of something he loves and he goes, you'll never notice the details of your trees in your backyard so much as if you finish a puzzle where you stand. I was like, who is this guy? What a depth of soul. And I was like, gosh, I, I told John, I need to do more puzzles more often. But 
But I just find myself, every time I started, I just, like, halfway through, it's like, you know what? We've had enough puzzle time. You know, it's like we barely finished to the end. I'm thankful our God never gets bored with us. He's, he's never going to walk away from you going, you know what? I got some of these pieces in, but that's enough of that. It's wonderful when you spend time with him to realize, man, he's still convicting me about stuff. He's still going to deal with this issue over here. He's not, until we're standing before him in heaven, ever going to abandon this project that is our spiritual formation. A few years back, my dentist uh, told me, hey, uh, we got a problem with your molars. And I was like, oh, what's the problem with the molars? Please tell me more. I'm intrigued. You piqued my, piqued my curiosity. He says, you appear to be grinding your teeth. And I go, man, I, don't, I do not grind my teeth. Like, I've been around teeth grinders, and no thank you, right? Put it in the chat if you're a tooth grinder. Uh, I'm, not a, I'm not a grinder. He goes, ah, it must be happening in your sleep. Are you stressed? And I was like, well, yes. And uh, so, so he says, you're, you, you're grinding, like, the enamel off all your teeth. It must be, and literally, in sleep, I do get stressed, and I wake up, and, and, and it only happens, you know, on days that end in Y. And... Uh, and so he said, well, it's a real problem because eventually you're not going to have any enamel left, and then you're going to you know, have to have these teeth replaced, and it's going to just be a ton of dental work. And so I said, well, what's the solution? He says, well, the best solution would be for you to, to get some braces to change the shape of your teeth because the way they're, they're grinding is uh, causing this problem. And I was like, man, I'm not getting braces. I'm so sorry. It's just not going to happen. And he goes, well, you should, you should check it out because there's actually options where you can wear them, you know, where they're like clear and see-through. And, and uh, so anyhow, I, that began for me like a, a two and a half year long, almost three year long journey of having these invisible braces that I have to wear and then take out and wear and then take out. And then, you know, I'd lose one in the grocery store and be like searching for it everywhere. It's terrible. It only happened once. Uh, but uh, true story. But, but week after week, I would have to have these trays adjusted and changed and changed all so that I wasn't grinding my teeth away. And however much I spent on these, these braces, it paled in comparison to how much I would spend if I had to replace all my molar teeth. At least that's what the dentist was telling me. And so uh, I got really frustrated because I just felt like this was taking so long and it just was not happening and I wasn't seeing uh, the progress. And as, as I was checking it out, I was still grinding in my teeth. I could actually see it on the little trays that I'd be wearing at nighttime. And one day I went in and I said to the, 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 the guy who was fixing my teeth, I, I said, this just feels like it is taking forever. And he said, Levi, time and pressure. That's all we need. You give me time and you give me pressure and you will see change. And I said, man, I need to write that down. Time and pressure is what we need to be spiritually formed. Our Father is seeking our formation. He's seeking for us to grow, seeking for us to change. But that time and that pressure, time under pressure, and things can begin to change. And that's why we need to see consistency. You can't just go to church one time and, and, and then see yourself completely different. You can't just open your Bible and read it one time and expect to have God take away your issues and your dysfunctions. You can't just go to one spiritual you know, seminar for your marriage, one marriage counseling appointment, and all of a sudden it'd be different. I'm telling you, it's week after week. It's day after day. It's dollar after dollar. It's the spiritual practices of tithing and of praying and of worshiping together, of being in small group, being community. And you'll begin to slowly but surely watch your life change and formed and adapted. And you watch God change your life if you give him time to exert pressure on your life. But what a wonderful, wonderful reward 
The day that they told me, you can take these things off, your teeth are no longer grinding, you, your molars line up where they should, and it was a beautiful thing because slowly but surely, then they showed me the before and the after picture. And to see, man, that's a big change over time, eventually, of, of, of where my teeth were aligned. Incredible to see how that can happen. And the same thing can be true for you. You will watch God change you from day to day. You might not notice the difference. But as you look back eventually, you're going to go, man, I see that you were developing me. I see that you were forming me because I was intentional here over time of allowing there to be that constant guiding pressure. That's the power of prayer. That's the power of the rhythm of regularly spending time with God. The third thing is permission, validation, formation, and permission. I don't remember how many times in school it happened, but there was definitely a few where I didn't get the permission slip signed by my parents, brought back to school in time. And as a result, my class got to go on a field trip, on a day trip, and I ended up stuck in the gym with like three or four other kids who were in the similar situation who didn't have their permission slip. It's a terrible thing not to get to go to see something, not to get to go and experience something all as a result of not having the consent from those who are able to give it. The Bible is full of God giving permission for people to walk in their callings, God giving consent for people to do things that they were uh, shaped to do. And I believe one of the powerful things about prayer is that we're able then to receive permission from God, to receive the authorization, to receive the consent, to do the things that are in our calling, to do the things that are in our destiny. In the book of Ephesians, the Bible says that we are given every blessing in spiritual places in Christ Jesus. In the book of Joshua, we are told that wherever we set the sole of our foot, God is going to prosper us. And as we spend time with Jesus in prayer, as we spend time, as we shut the doors, you're willing to shut the door to the world and to things that are going on that could consume you, what you're going to find is you're going to find him putting a permission slip into your hands to go and do all that he's called you to do that day. And how that works oftentimes is just you and I being willing to pay attention, to pay attention. I just this week had someone, as I was spending time in prayer in front of the fire pit, just someone came to my mind, just someone random who I don't see very often, but they came to my mind. And so I just shot uh, a quick text message out, hey, you came to mind, and, and uh, so I was praying for you, and I hope you're well, and immediately got back this horrible crisis text from them of what they were dealing with. And it was absolutely astounding to me to know that they were going through it, and that's part of why God put them on my radar. And here I am just, just going, what am I doing? I'm getting permission to walk in the calling that I've been. And now there's a new uh, depth of intimacy to our relationship. Because, and, and what a blessing to them to know that God put me, me and them in the same place in his mind at that moment, that he was, he was thinking of them and he was activating me. So I, I just wonder what... What, what great opportunities are, are, are still laying there on the table? What, what field trips we're not going on? What places that we're not walking in? What, what ground we're not taking for the kingdom? All because we missed those moments to just spend time and quiet our hearts before him where he would have given us that permission slip, tucked that permission slip into our backpack for the day. I would just encourage you, don't let a, a school day go by. Don't let a day at work go by. Don't let a, a day with your family go by where you first haven't calibrated and, and readied your heart and allowed him to put that permission slip in your
your folder so that when your whole crew is getting on the bus that you're able to say, Here's my, this is my permission slip. Here I am today, called with a great calling by God. These are rewards that you will walk in. You'll see, I saw what happened because I met with God in secret. He rewarded me openly. I'm walking in the power of validation. I'm being formed spiritually. I have a great calling that, that I'm called to walk in that God has for me. And this is life-changing. But what I love is that our time behind closed doors is not meant to be seen as something we can only do at home. And it's a little misleading because we started, as we read the passage, with these men out in public, standing on street corners, in the marketplace, all around town, and they're praying. And Jesus is like, don't do that. Instead, go into your room and shut your door. But I believe this is not a prohibition against praying in public. Jesus isn't saying you, you, you can only pray when you're at your house. You can only pray when you're in your, in your secret little room. You can only pray in your backyard, Levi. Jesus isn't, isn't really condemning uh, where these men are praying, but how they're praying, and I think, most importantly, why they're praying, which comes to the, the fourth thing I want you to jot down today, and that is the word motivation. You see, it's our motivation in prayer that determines what we get from it. These men, Jesus said, were praying from the wrong desire, praying from the wrong heart, praying for the wrong reasons. In fact, he explicitly put it as they were praying to be seen by men. Their motivation was off, so they didn't get to get any of these rewards. Why? Because he said, if you're praying to be seen by people, then that is all the reward that you get. If you're fasting to be seen by people, that is all the reward you get. Because whoever you're praying to is the one who can reward you. And if you're praying to be seen by people and your eyes are on people, then you don't get to walk in any reward God has for you because people don't have any capacity to actually bless you. You can't give me my value. You can't form me in my innermost soul and being. You can't give me permission to do great things that God's called me to do. So if I'm living and serving and praying to please you, then that is all I will ever get. But if your motivation is right and your motivation is to be seen by God, if your motivation is to please the one who's always with you, then you get to walk in all these things. And listen to me, that is something you can do regardless of where you are at. At the heart, this text is not about location. It's about our motivation. And I believe that Jesus is actually telling us how to conduct ourselves everywhere we go. And the key, again, is that phrase, go into your inner room. That word's not just the room. It's the inner room. And just as your house or your apartment has an outer room oftentimes and then an inner room, so in your life, you have one that you always bring around with you. And really, remember now that Matthew 6 is a part of what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is all about what happens with your body is not the end of the story because there's a deeper level, and it's your heart. Like when he said, if you think you're off, scot off scotch-free because you've never killed anybody, I say to you, hatred in your heart is just as serious. So there's a, a spiritual sort of aspect of murder. Same thing with adultery. It's not enough to say, well, I've never actually technically committed adultery. He says, what if you have lust in your heart? So the whole Sermon on the Mount is that way. So when he says, uh, go into your inner room, I believe we're also meant to understand that there's an aspect to prayer that's not just to take place when we're inside the inside of our house. It also can take place wherever we are because of the inside of our hearts. 
Here's what I'm trying to get you to say. See, I'm trying to get you to, to see that when we pray in our inner hearts, we can shut the door no matter where we go. In my devotional I am reading through this year, I came across this excerpt from a book called The Art of Prayer. And the author referenced this verse and then said, this closet is twofold, outside and inside, material and spiritual. The material place is of wood or stone. The spiritual closet is the heart of the mind. The material closet remains always fixed in the same place, but the spiritual one you carry about with you inside wherever you go. Wherever man is, his heart is always with him. And so having collected his thoughts inside his heart, he can shut himself in and pray to God in secret, whether he be talking or listening, whether among few people or many. All that is necessary is to raise your mind to God and descend deep into yourself. And this can be done everywhere. You see, we're not just physical beings living in a home or living in this world. We're also spiritual beings. And so what that means is we have an outward man and we have an inward man. And this distinction uh, Paul uses in 2 Corinthians 4 when he says, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. And Jesus said the same thing when he said that the kingdom of God, this is Luke 17, is within you. And so I think part of the power of prayer is, yes, it's important and special and meaningful to have, as I said, a place inside your home where you pray in secret. But that is meant to propel you into a lifestyle of prayer, an attitude of prayer that takes place on the inside of your inner room every day, everywhere you go. And what I found uh, to be powerful about prayer is remembering that I do have that inner room that I carry with me wherever, and I can descend into, and, and I can shut my door in just a quick, difficult moment when I'm feeling tempted, when I'm feeling low, when I'm, when I'm feeling challenged, when I'm feeling anx anxious. I could be in a meeting. I could be on an airplane. I could be anywhere. And all of a sudden, there's a secret place right there with me. Because I don't leave God when I set my journal down and set my Bible down on the chair where I have my devotions. It's powerful there. But it's meant to be the beginning of a whole day, as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, practicing the presence of God, of praying without ceasing. And so I believe that what Jesus was condemning was not the fact that these men were praying publicly, but how they were praying publicly, that their motivation was off. But he himself would oftentimes be doing something, talking to people, but then the text would tell us that Jesus would just quickly, secretly commune with his father. And so many people in scripture would be doing things, like Nehemiah, there before the king, but still shooting up a secret prayer. What was he doing? He was shutting his door right then in that difficult moment, in that challenging moment. And I think that What's life-changing and life-giving about prayer is when it's not something we do at the beginning of the day and then check that off of our list, but where that is just the beginning of a, of a conversation that's ongoing with him throughout the day. And there are secret moments, quiet moments, meditative moments, a chance on a drive, a, a quick, uh, when your Fitbit goes off and you get up to take a lap around the office or whatever, it, just when you're getting uh, water from the, the cooler to fill up your, your, your water bottle, just a, a chance to shut the door for a second. Thank you, God. You're with me, God. I need your help, God. I'm stressed out right now. God, help me to, 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 to relax a little bit. Help me to not be so triggered here. Re remembering your value. Remembering something he gave you that morning when you were reading scripture. Remembering something that he put on your heart as you were there with him in those quiet moments. I, I believe that God wants you to learn to shut your door all through the day, a hundred times a day, just to quickly close off, real, open it back up. Close it down for just a quick second. 
God, I need you. Maybe a little stanza of a song will come to mind. Shut your door. Just, just for a second. Just for a quick moment. Just to, to respond to his spirit's touch in your heart. Just to settle yourself with, I'm loved here. Remind yourself of your worth here. Remember your calling. Remember the permission slip that he gave you. It could be powerful or special for you to, to write down something in a journal or in a, a slip of paper to keep in your pocket or to keep on your lock screen of your iPhone throughout the day. Just, just reminders of those permission slips, reminders of those, those assignments, reminders of those things that he, he pricked your heart on, that he's forming you, that, where he's applying some pressure over time to, to make you into the vessel that he wants you to be. It's a beautiful thing to remember that you bring your sanctuary with you everywhere you go. It's, it's not about uh, us having just one place geographically where we meet with God. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and there's something really powerful in there. Now, as I was writing this message, because I sensed such a, an assignment in encouraging you uh, both to foster this gift of prayer at specific times in your day, but it's also just this, this constant ongoing dialogue. But I took my, my sermon process uh, where it usually ends up at some point to Google. And I ended up coming across, I couldn't believe it. I have to show you this video. It came up on YouTube. I'm literally looking for you know, something about sh shutting doors. And, and this video comes up. And I just laughed so hard I had to, you just check this out. But you can't come in unless you give the password. Yes, you can, buddy. Hey, Shaw, we got sick of trading. Hello. So this video turns out if you've ever looked at anything you bought that you plug in, there's always two little letters on it somewhere, and it's UL, UL certified. Like every lamp, every, every charger, it always says UL certified. Well, that video you just watched was a little video made by the organization behind those two letters, UL. And it turns out they certify the products that we purchase at stores all around the world that they're safe and they're not going to start on fire. They test products out, and their whole thing that's been going on forever is all about making sure things aren't just going to randomly start a fire. Well, they have this internal division of firefighters, and this is a part of a public awareness campaign that they've been launching to help people understand the biggest thing they can do to keep themselves safe in a fire that takes place in their home. So now I'm on this crazy rabbit trail. I'm like, oh my gosh. And, and I'm looking at these statistics, and it's breaking my heart because there's 4,000 Americans every single year who die in house fires. And a majority of those who die in house fires die in fires that take place in the night. And it's super common for a fire to start up in your house somewhere in the evening, which is why, of course, it's so important to make sure you have fresh batteries in your smoke detector and your carbon monoxide detector. But then I'm on this website that UL made, and it's saying that one of the most important simple things that most people don't do to keep yourself from dying or being hurt in a fire that takes place in your home in the night is the simple act of shutting your door. And they went on to show uh, this, this some astounding research because, and let's just, before we go any further, do you uh, sleep with your door shut or open? Come on, put it in the chat, or I'll give, it to, I'll give you the opportunity to vote with your hands too, okay? So who, who sleeps with your door to your bedroom shut? Raise up your hand. Who sleeps with the door open? Right? Okay, well, apparently, it's, that's not too different from the data because 39% of Americans sleep with their door shut, which is to say 71% of Americans have the door open. And the number one 
cause cited for why the doors stay open is parents who say, I need to check on my kids. I can't have the door shut. Well, the, other, the kids would say, because I'm scared of the dark. But there's reasons involved. But a majority of people want the doors open because of children or because uh, of darkness. So I would say, if that's you, and you'd say, my doors are open because kids get a stinking kid screen thing. What are those called? Kid monitors, kid alarms, right? Get a walkie-talkie and put a rubber band around it or something, right? But the, here's why you should sleep with your, your doors shut. Uh, our homes, many of them, many of them are, are full of synthetic things. Our couches, furniture, homes are built of, of, of so much synthetic stuff, which has a lot of oil in it and has a lot of stuff basically made out of the same substance as gasoline, which is why 40 years ago, if a fire took place in your house, you would have 17 minutes on average to escape that fire. 17 minutes to, before your, your house would, would burn down to a place where you'd be in danger. So a lot of time to, to wake up, realize what's going on, get out of the house. But with so many things in our lives having uh, these, these synthetic things in them, they burn a lot quicker. Now, flash forward 40 years later, so a lot quicker. The house is at a catastrophic level, only three minutes to get out because the fires will burn so hot so quick. And so there's a lot less time to react. And the big difference that's made is whether the door is shut or door is open. If you sleep with the door open, the fire rages through the house. And in just uh, almost no time at all, the temperature inside the room will reach 1,000 degrees, which obviously you can't survive that. You can't live through that. But astoundingly, if the door is closed, the temperature on average in a fire will only be 100 degrees Fahrenheit. The fire will blast past the hallway, and it will stay uh, a livable temperature inside the room. And when it comes to the carbon monoxide that rushes in with the smoke, with a door open in a bedroom, there will be 10,000 parts per million of carbon dioxide in the air. Whereas after a fire rages through, if a door has been closed, it will be only 1,000. And 10,000 is so lethal, even just a, a few breaths of, of that much carbon dioxide, and a human will pass out. So it's astounding to think what a big difference that a, a, a closed door makes. So I just wanted to throw this in my sermon to tell you to start sleeping with doors shut. It's amazing to think about. But what I love is, as well is the spiritual parallel, that there are difficult things that we face in this world. There are trials that we, that we experience and we face and that we've, we will face day in and day out. And to think about the power of Jesus telling us to live with the door shut, the power to live with us not just focusing on uh, what people are saying, what culture is saying, what our desires are saying, what temptations come our way, what trials bombard us. The Bible says great trials come to try us, and this is normal. But when we live with a closed door, when we live with our, our, our spiritual focus on heaven, God is able to give us strength where the fires pass by and we're safe. We're able to be safe in the midst of those difficult things, in the midst of those challenging things. And what I believe God wants you to do is to have your life built on the rock so that when hard things and with, when challenging things, when, when, when impossible things come your way, you will be able to still breathe. You will still be able to, to stay standing and to be steadfast and to be immovable. There's a 900-degree difference to having your door shut. Now, as we close this time together today, and I do hope you'll come back as we talk about how to deal with unanswered prayers tomorrow. And all this, there's so many questions. And I believe that, that God's going to give us a lot of insight and, and a lot of the ability to grow in our relationship with him through prayer. So we'll just say to be continued and come back next week. But as we read the text, I don't know if you noticed it. It's, it's really just very obvious as you just read through it and look at the words themselves. But there's no singular pronouns in the whole Lord's Prayer. 
What's incredible about it is Jesus gives it to us is it's all about us, it's all about ours, it's all about we. And there's something to that. And I think it's that God does the greatest things for us when we have our hearts focused on him and others. This past week, I had my eyes open to that, and I'm going to close with this. I was uh, with my daughter, Olivia, and we got uh, my truck uh, high-centered on a snow drift, and I, we, we couldn't get it out. I, it was just not happening. And uh, it was at that po- point that I remembered that I had bought this rope, uh, and I bought it because we did a message on the Good Samaritan in 2019, and I remember thinking, because a friend had told me that he keeps a chain in his car, he's seen so many people stuck in snow, and he always keeps a chain in his car to be able to pull people out. I was like, man, I should be that person. And so I got on the internet, and I, I bought this tow rope, and I've had it in my car, zip tied up in the packaging ever since that day. And, uh, and I haven't seen any stranded people. I've kept my eye out, man. I'm just like, if you get stranded and I drive by, I'm going to help you. I promise you that. Uh, but it hasn't, I haven't had a moment. And uh, then this day I get stuck and this, 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 uh, this truck was coming by. And so I flagged him down and I had this, this uh, rope. And I said, would you mind? I'm stuck. Would you pull aside? He's like, absolutely. And so we got it tied on and he just, he yanked me out. He yanked me out so good I almost crashed into another car. It's a different, different story for a different day. But then I put it back in the car, and as Livy and I were driving off with so much adrenaline still in us, I realized that I had bought that rope for other people. And it was so amazing to me that here's something that, that God put in, in my heart to, to bless other people. And here I today am the one benefiting from it. And I think it's always that way. I think so many times we're tempted to, to make prayer all about us and all about our issues and what we're going through. But God wants us to live a bigger story than that. He invites us to be a part of realizing that the greater needs, not just for our own consumption of daily bread, but that God wants us to pray for him to give us our daily bread. And within that is the mentality that whatever you give me, I'm going to share. That it's what you've blessed me with is not just for me. And that when I pray, lead us not into temptation, I'm uh, essentially signing up for duty to, to be there to pray for you and to help you and to encourage you as I can as you deal with your temptations. And the beautiful thing about taking our eyes off ourselves is, is that those are often the moments when we grow the most. And I'm praying for you, church, that as you sign up to, to live this life that's, that's about more than just you and your needs and your family, but a bigger story of what God's doing in the world and how you get to take part in that, that oftentimes it's, it's going to be those things that, that come into your life for other people that are going to actually help you and give you the most purpose yourself. And Father, we thank you for what it means to live our lives with those, those doors shut. And I'm really grateful that for many of us, in shutting those doors physically and in our hearts, you're going to open doors for us, great doors of opportunity. You're going to give us dreams. You're going to give us ideas. God, little things are going to be put on our radar. Thank you, Father, for the way that you're going to open doors for us, opportunities for us, as we're willing to live behind the safety of the closed door of spending time with you in secret, spending time with you alone, and calling on your name in quiet moments throughout the day. As we're praying, 
if you're with us and you've never spoken the most important prayer, and that would be a prayer to give your heart to Jesus, to give your life to God. I want to give you the words to, to speak to him. The Bible says if you confess that you are a sinner, that he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So I want to just give you space and time to make that decision. Regardless of what you've done or where you've been, if you would say, I don't, I don't even know how to pray, the, the most important thing is that you believe and mean this in your heart. And I believe that God will hear you and he will save you. He will make you new. This for me was something I had heard so many times and I'd even prayed so many times. But then there came a day when I realized with renewed sense of conviction and passion that, that I wanted to follow Jesus. And in that moment, I made that decision. And so there might be, even be some of you watching this right now and you've, you would say, man, I've prayed this so many times. I've, I've, I've raised my hand a ton of different invitations at services, and it just didn't take, it didn't work. I'm telling you, that was my exact story. But then there came a point when I prayed it again, and it did. And I don't know how to describe it other than that. It was just, it was when it changed. And maybe it's because we're in process, and maybe because we're on this spiritual journey. And so I would just say, if you sense God calling you and just pricking you with his, his spirit, him nudging you, and you feel like this, I'm speaking straight to you, that today's your day, now's your time. And this is your chance to, to get your heart right with God. Say this, mean it in your heart. He'll hear you. Dear God, I'm a sinner. I can't fix myself. Thank you that you love me, that you've called me, that you've chosen me. I respond to you. Come into my heart. Make me new. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.